repositioning your use of time repositioning your use of time and this is the third part of this particular message but we're well into our repositioning yourself series and then next week hopefully next week <laughs> we'll be starting the freedom project the freedom project how many of you need deliverance how many of you need freedom from bondage in your lives and we'll be looking at that amen all right, but for now, it's repositioning your use of time. If you weren't here last week, please get onto the website, www.gochurch, and you can actually catch up. You'll see the videos um, on this particular message. Right, are you ready? Are you steady? Well, let's do it, folks. Let's do it. One of the things I learned recently was that God delights in using improbable people to extend abundant grace and do the impossible the beneficiaries being undeserving recipients isn't that powerful right i've adapted that from something that chip ingram said and i was listening to it and i just thought oh this is really powerful god delights in using improbable people what's an improbable person Someone where the world will look and say, huh? Why is God using this person? God delights in using improbable people to do the impossible. Why does he do that? So that he gets the glory. God is interested in his glory. And I don't know about you, but there are certain exploits that God has called us to embark on that are impossible so that he gets the glory. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go about doing things that are just ordinary. I don't want to go about in my daily life doing things where people are saying, oh, it's because of Paul. Or it's because he was educated at such and such a place. I want to do things that are supernatural. Amen. And I'm hoping it's the same for you too. And how many of you know that it's your responsibility to know what that thing is? That dream that's from heaven, that is impossible. It's your responsibility to figure out what that thing is. You see, God is not playing hide and seek with you. God is not what? God is not playing hide and seek with you trying to hide your purpose from you god wants to reveal it to you you see god is interesting because he does have mysteries but the mysteries are for a purpose he only keeps things from us in order to reveal them to us amen right so ignorance is not bliss you can't say at the judgment seat of christ but lord i didn't know what my purpose was because he delights in using improbable people to do the impossible extending abundant grace to undeserving recipients why he's doubly praised because if i'm doing the impossible i'll say sure lord i see that it's you doing it through me and the people who are undeserving recipients will say well we didn't deserve this abundant grace we'll give you the glory lord it's clearly from you god amen what is it that God is giving you to do? And is it impossible? Because if you settle for the natural, if you settle for an ordinary life, ask four and no more if you're a family of four. Ask five and no more if you're a family of five. Ask two and no more if you're a family of two. If we settle for the natural, how does God get the glory? Jesus desires to reveal your purpose to you if you desire to do it. You see, sometimes we've got this attitude before God where we're just like, oh, Lord, show me your purpose for me. Just show me, reveal it. Then afterwards I'll decide, will I do it or not? I mean, if you know that he doesn't throw pearl to swine, pearls to swine. The posture of getting revelation from God is a posture that says, Lord, tell me, speak to me, speak to your child, and I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. Here am I, Lord, send me like Isaiah did. And then God speaks to you. So what's that dream in your life? What's that thing in your life that is impossible to do? What I find amazing about God is that with this dream, he also then gives you two wonderful resources, not just money. How many of you know that God's will, 
will never take you where his grace cannot sustain you. If it's God's will for you to do something, his grace is abundant. Resources are abundant for you to do the particular thing. So if you say, this is what I want to do, and the resources aren't there, you need to begin to ask yourself, could it be that I'm doing what God has called me to do? Because he will supply. You see, when God says, I've called you to be a prophet to the nations, he will give you everything you need in order to be a prophet to the nations. When God says, I've called you to be a teacher to small children, he will give you everything that you need in order to do that. And two of those resources that God gives you is time and energy. A time and energy. If God has called me to do something, he will give me the time to do it and he'll give me the energy I need to do it. Amen? So if you're trying to do all sorts of things but you don't have the time available, you need to ask yourself, am I doing what God has called me to do? If you don't have the energy available, am I doing what God has called me to do? And you know what it is very often? Very often it's because we haven't managed our time well that we aren't able to put first things first. You see, the enemy is very tricky. And what he will do is he'll, he'll derail you from your purpose in life by getting you to focus on second things first instead of first things first. How many of you know that for most Christians, the reason why they don't do what God has called them to do isn't just rebellion? Sometimes we think this person is so evil, they're not doing their primary purpose. No. Very often it's we're too tired. We're just too tired. Think about it. Think about all the things you know God has called you to do. The prophetic words you've received. The things he's unctioned in your heart, activated in your heart. But for the most part, we're exhausted. Now, if that's you, how many of you are feeling me this morning on that? If that's you, you need to ask yourself, what is exhausting me? What is exhausting me? Because God gives me divine energy to do what he said I must do. So what has distracted me that I'm so exhausted I can't fulfill my primary purpose? You see, for, the mo for most of people in this room, if you're not walking in the full purposes of God for your life, it's not because you're having drunken orgies somewhere. Amen? Hope no one is like, well, actually, Pastor, actual. All right? It's not because of that. It's because we've put second things first. What is distracting you from God's purpose for your life? Now, ever since about 1997, I've been studying leadership. I've been looking at leadership, trying to figure out the people who become great and do great exploits. What's unique about them? I find it fascinating because if we do what they do, we'll get the same results. We don't have this fixed mentality to say, oh, they were just lucky or they were just born on the right side of the railway track. And I'm just unfortunate. That's a fixed mindset as opposed to a growth mindset that says, if I do what these guys do, if I practice the same principles, if I have the same attitude, why can't I get the same results? And as I've been studying this, I realized at a certain point that your success, your greatness is hidden in your daily routine. If there's someone out there that you admire, if there's someone out there that you want to mentor you, don't just look at the peaks of their life, look at their daily routine. And what I realized is that God has got a great purpose for me and for you, but we derail ourselves from that purpose because of personal management things. We derail ourselves from that purpose because we don't translate our goals in this life into our daily routine. We don't translate our goals and our dreams in this life into our timetable. We don't translate our goals and our dreams in this life into our personal management. Is everyone following this morning? You see, some of you have come from a background where you want to hear messages on, just show me what the secret formula is. And if I'm anointed, I'll be successful. It doesn't work like that. You see, God has called you and me, but he expects us to translate that calling into a schedule. If you say to me, one of my goals is that in the next two years, I'm going to run the Comrades Marathon. If someone comes to me and says that, how many of you know that when you make a decision about a goal, you're making a decision about your use of time?
You cannot separate goals and dreams from use of time. The moment I say my goal in life is to be an apostle on the African continent. That's what God has called me to. And I will oversee many churches and raise up many leaders. How many of you know that I'm already making a decision about how my time will be spent? Because apostolic ministry cannot be divorced from the word. So I'm already making a decision about how much time I must spend in the word. And cannot be divorced from prayer. I'm already making a decision about how much time I should be spending in prayer. Amen. You cannot say, oh, I'm called to be a prophet to the nations, but somehow have a theory that I can avoid a strong prayer life. Because prophets are also intercessors who stand in the gap. Amen. Amen. Whatever your goal is, do not be deceived. Translate those goals into your use of time. Has it landed? And that's a rationale for what I want to say. Because if success is hidden in your daily routine, we need to figure out, well, how am I going to manage my time? I shared with you the other week that we've all been given 24 hours in a day. 24 hours. The difference is how we use it. No one here can say, oh no, but I've been given 24 hours, but hey, you're part of the crowd that only has a 16-hour day. We can't say, oh yeah, Bill Gates is very fortunate. He's got a 24-hour day or he's got a 36-hour day. And we are unfortunate because we've only got 10-hour days. God has blessed us with the same amount of time. 24 hours in a day. The difference between you and other people is how you use it. And that requires wisdom. Amen? Now, let's have a look in Scripture. Let's have a look in Scripture. I've just said to you that when you set goals, you're pre-deciding and declaring that this is how I'm going to allocate my time. Right? So let's have a look in scripture. Luke 14, verse 28 to 31. In the TLB, it says, suppose one of you builds, wants to build a tower. This is Jesus speaking. And I love how relevant Jesus was. I when you look at this, you start seeing that Jesus had the wisdom to give advice to construction people. This, I mean, this is the kind of work that Pastor Michael does, isn't it? Planning and construction. I mean, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Now, does Jesus just say, hey guys, I don't know about ordinary matters like building towers. I'm just the spiritual guy in my corner. He doesn't say that. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Money is a resource, isn't it? I mean, even that time is a resource. If one of you sits down and decides, I want to do the comrades next year, or maybe Ivy Mutsa, or they've done it a number of times before. Anyone want to do the comrades in a year's time, maybe? Anyone? Charlton? <laughs> Amen. All right. Suppose one of you sits down and decides, I want to do the comrades next year. Should he not first sit down and count the cost and say how much time will I actually need how will it impact other things Jesus spoke about time management so those of you who come to church and say oh no but don't teach us in church about time management it's not spiritual it's one of the most spiritual things how I use my time will glorify Jesus Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Business plan. For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it. That's the problem with many people, hey? We lay a foundation, but we don't finish it. We talk about all sorts of things we want to do in this life, but we don't finish it. Why? We didn't plan. The word plan means to prepare the details beforehand, by the way, right? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king, I mean, it's like Jesus could give advice to military generals, hey? Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men, that's resources again, right? To oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. Planning is biblical and spiritual, ladies and gentlemen. 
planning is biblical and spiritual. Have a look at Proverbs 21 verse 5. Proverbs 21 verse 5. In the NIV it says, The plans of the diligent lead to... The plans of the diligent lead to what? They lead to profits as surely as haste leads to poverty. One of the things, one of the best things you can do in your life is to plan how you will use your time. I've said to you before that the unprepared person will always be at the mercy of the prepared person. And we see here that the plans, not just of anyone, but the plans of the diligent, they lead to profit. So the source of our profit in life is not just, please pray for me and lay hands on me so that I may create wealth. Please just impart something to me, pastor, so that I may be successful in this life. There's a place for impartation and activation, but there's so many scriptures that give us practical tools about how to be successful. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. What are your plans for this week? How are you planning to use your time this week? Do you sit down on a Sunday and decide, this is how I'm going to use my time this week. This is what my attitude is going to be like this week. This is my strategy for this week, something my wife has taught on a lot. How we have different strategies for each week. Maybe God is saying, go into this week from a place of rest. Maybe God is saying, go in this week and emphasize warfare. Go in this week and just come in the opposite spirit. Don't fight your own battles. I'll fight them. What is your plan for the week? What are your plans? Do you have plans? Are you diligent? Those are some of the key questions we need to be asking ourselves. James chapter 4. Do you enjoy the word of God? James chapter 4 verse 14 to 16. This is so important because a lot of us end up trapped. Because what we do is we make all sorts of plans, then we boast about our plans. We make all sorts of plans and then we say, this is going to happen in my life. As if God has nothing to do with it. So what is our responsibility? Well, it says here, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So it's important to have a plan, but to embed your plan in God's will. Amen? Because you don't always see the full picture. And he says in verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. How many of you have schemes here? As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and says, all such boasting is evil. Can you see where the trap is? You see, if my time is yielded to God, and if I truly plan to glorify him in my use of time, then I'm, agree then I'm guaranteed an attack on my time. Just think about it. So the enemy wants to attack your use of time. If I've said, God, I've received the calling for my life. This is my primary purpose. And then this is how I'm going to allocate my time so that it's aligned to my primary purpose. How many of you know that the devil, one of the primary things he's going to try and do is to rob me of that time. Amen? That's why the Bible says we must redeem the time. In the book of Ephesians, redeeming the time, reclaiming the time, multiplying our time. And the enemy wants to do the opposite of that. He wants to derail us. So I want to give you some practical things today, if that's okay with you, around common time wasters. And I'm going to read through a particular list. And if it applies to you, please jot it down. Because this could be your strategy to overcome the enemy in your life. Amen. Number one, telephone interruptions. How many of you know that telephone interruptions are a big time waster? How many of you say to yourselves, I just want to pour into my kids this evening and pour into my spouse this evening. And then all of a sudden... You start having business calls late at night. Amen? You start having business calls late at night. The next one, drop-in visitors. People who pitch up, and because you don't have boundaries, what ends up happening? Because you don't have boundaries, you just accept it. Because you don't know how to set limits, 
The thing that you were going to do that was God's purpose for your life, you can't do anymore because, oh, Paul is being rude. Paul, in my culture, you know, you just have to accept people. That's fine, but at a certain point in the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to ask you, did you do what I called you to do? What will you say? Boundaries. Number three, meetings. Both scheduled meetings and unscheduled meetings. How many of you know that poorly managed meetings, poorly chaired meetings are one of the biggest time wasters? I remember working in an organization and we realized that, wait a minute, we are meeting here with this group of people and we've got this meeting. And then it's the same group meeting on another day and they've got this meeting. Why don't we just combine the two meetings? Or sometimes we'll find ourselves in situations where we waste a lot of time because we'll have a meeting for the sake of having a meeting, but the decision makers aren't present. Then we have to have another meeting when the decision makers are there. We've wasted time. Or because of one rambler who people are too intimidated by to actually say noted let's move on next point a meeting that was supposed to be 30 minutes ends up two hours and you find yourself rushing home rushing home rushing home you're late you're trying to cook you're trying to connect with your family but ultimately when you look at the root issue it was poor personal management you have some people who are always late for meetings and what tends to happen is they, they'll come through to your meeting they'll say sorry the other meeting ran over the problem wasn't the other meeting running over the problem was your poor assertiveness skills where you could not say to the people you know what we've gone 20 minutes over i need to respect the other people from the next meeting i need to go thank you amen are you seeing that you can be a very spiritual Christian? Shandai, Shandai, driving my Hyundai. Shandai, Shandai, driving my Hyundai until I die. Shandai, Shandai, driving my Hyundai until I die. You can be very spiritual in lots of prayer meetings, but because of poor use of time, you derail the purposes of God for your life. Can I hear an amen? Number four, crises. Have you noticed people often come to us and they say, oh, I'm in a crisis. Oh, there's a crisis. Oh, there's a crisis. And sometimes we have to say to them, your poor organizational skills should not equate to a crisis for me. It sounds harsh, but I built the foundation last week where I showed you that the crowds were coming to Jesus. And at a certain point, he says to his disciples, you know what, despite this, we need to go to the other side by boat and go to a deserted area because we actually need to rest. Amen? Number five, lack of clear goals and supporting plans. Lack of clear goals and supporting plans. There was a group of people quite a long time ago, I've shared with you this before, in about 1950, 53, somewhere there, it was a graduate class in the United States, I think it was, and they were asked, how many of you have got written down goals with action plans? written down goals with action plans. And guess what happened? Only three hands from that entire graduate class, only three hands went up. 20 years later, they interviewed that same group of people and they asked them the similar questions. They asked them about their lives. They wanted to see whether they'd been a success or not. And you know what was interesting? Those three people who had written down their goals with action plans were generally happier and more fulfilled in life. There's something about Fulfilling your goals, that gives you a sense of fulfillment. Fulfillment doesn't come from acquiring things. It comes when the stuff that God has placed inside of you gets out. So if you've got books to still write, they need to come out. Amen? For you to feel fulfilled. But here's the interesting thing, because some of you will say, but Paul, how do you measure fulfillment? There's something you can measure, and that's net worth. And what is interesting is that the net worth of those three who had written down their goals with action plans, the net worth of those three was greater than the combined net worth of the balance of the class. How do you explain that in wealth terms? How do you explain that? One of the reasons why we waste a lot of time is we are not clear about our goals. And I'm not just talking about your general life goals. I'm talking about your goals for that week. I'm talking about your goals for this season. I'm talking about what your primary purpose is, not just your general life, your primary purpose for now. Amen. Lack of objectives, priorities, and deadlines. That's a big one. How many of you know a goal is a dream with a deadline? So if you just say, ah, oh, no, yeah, I will do it. Sometime this week, I will do it. You're showing me that it might roll over to next week. 
But if you say my plan is that on Tuesday I'm going to do it. Then you're showing me that you're very goal orientated. Amen. A goal is a dream with a deadline. And some people remain in la-la land, dreamland, because they don't put a deadline to specific things. And you see this in the life of Jesus, where sometimes in the early part of his ministry, he'll be telling people, but don't tell anyone this. Yes, I'm the son of God, but don't tell anyone this. He knew his time had not come. But at a certain point, he's saying, whatever you want to do, do it quickly. Do it now. Because he knew the time had come and there was a strong deadline for it. Amen. We must be aware of our seasons. Number seven, cluttered desk and personal disorganization. One of the things I've been trying to implement at home for some time is saying to the people in my household, my kids, guys, there must not be a temporary landing space for anything. There mustn't be a temporary landing space for anything. Come on, how many of you struggle with that? What do I mean by that? It's where there must be a place for keys. There must be a place for your Bible. It stays somewhere. It doesn't have a temporary landing space. How many of you know that if you leave your keys on the table, then another day you leave them in the toilet, then another day you leave them on the kitchen counter? How many of you know that when you can't find your keys, there are a million and one options now? Where could my keys be? But if your keys have a place, if your shoes have a place, I wish Jaden was still here listening to this. If everything has a place, you're never looking for anything. Oh, he's back. <laughs> you're never then looking for anything. Amen. So sometimes we waste a lot of time looking for things. And how many of you know, if you're a bit like me, a lot of times that happens on your computer. How many of you forget where you filed certain things and you're always searching? Oh, let me just search for it. Oh, there it is. I'll send it off. Let me just search. Oh, there it is. Let me just search. Oh, the particular folder you're looking for is not here anymore. It doesn't exist. Ah, oh, which hard drive was it on? Oh, is it this one? And you plug, right? How many of you experience that? Our own personal disorganization consumes so much of our time. And then we end up exhausted and unable to do our primary purpose. <clears throat> Number eight, and we've spoken about this quite a bit, ineffective delegation. Ineffective delegation and involvement in routine and detailed administration and bureaucracy. How many of you in our organizations, red tape is a big time waster? When I work with various organizations and I try to help them to be agile as an organization, one of the things is to question, if you want to be an agile organization, is to question, are our meetings working? Are our policies relevant? Are our systems efficient? But you know that you can apply that at home, can't you? You can apply that to the home. Where you sit down and you say, are we being efficient in our use of time? Number nine, attempting too much at once and unrealistic time estimates. You know, there's some people who overestimate how much they can do in a day. I know some people where you say, what's your plan for the day? They've got 26 things on their to-do list. Loazi is laughing at the back there, right? 26 things on their to-do list. And guess what ends up happening when you do that? Things roll over onto the next day, then you feel discouraged because you feel like, I didn't do everything I wanted to do. But didn't you learn from last week? Didn't you learn from last week? And then you find yourself, you set all sorts of meetings, and then you find yourself going through the cycle where as the week goes by, you're canceling on people. Canceling on people, canceling on people. So why did you set them up in the first place? Right? It's one thing to cancel on someone once, but when it becomes a pattern, you begin to lose credibility. The next time you set a meeting with that person, they're like, yeah, okay, cool, but we'll see if it'll happen or not. Amen? Number 10, confused responsibility and authority. Where you're not too sure, am I the one who's actually in authority here in charge of this project, or am I just doing it? Sometimes for those of you in the IT world, you'll understand scope creep, hey? Scope creep, those of you who deal with projects, where people invite you to do a particular thing and they say, please, can you assist us on this? And two weeks down the line, they're now saying, so how far are we on the project? Okay, so what's the, what's the plan? What's the next thing? You're like, I didn't know I was supposed to be leading this. You just invited me to help you out. When those things are not clear, you end up derailing yourself with regards to your use of time. Number 11, inadequate 
inaccurate or delayed information is a big time waster. Inadequate, inaccurate or delayed information. For many of us, we can only make certain decisions when we've got the information. Amen? If you don't have it and if it's inaccurate, it becomes very difficult. Number 12, indecision and procrastination. How many of that procrastination is the thief of time? And it's a massive time waster. And if you had just gone ahead and done the thing, you would have saved so much time. Now you're doing it late. And with a lot of things in this country, when you apply late, you're paying more. Amen? Number 13, the inability to say no. Say to the person next to you, no. Just say to them, no. Just say no. For some of you, you struggle with that word, hey? And for some of you, you can't say no without an excuse. You always have to have a reason. And it causes you to lie. Ah, no, pastor, I can't make it because, but that's not the real reason. Just say, I'm peopled out right now, pastor. I can't make it. I'm tired. Amen? A lot of us are very good at keeping appointments with other people, but not keeping appointments with ourselves. So it's easy to say, sorry, I can't meet with you, Sean, because I've got a meeting with the other Sean. It's easy to say that. But how many of us are able to say, sorry, I can't meet with you, Jimmy, because I'm just going to be reading that book that Paul recommended. Because I just need to catch up with my family and myself. Self-respect is so important. If you don't respect yourself, it's difficult to truly and authentically respect other people. Inability to say no. Number 14, lack of controls, standards, and progress reports. Where you actually don't know, am I making progress or not? You're not actually getting feedback on how you're doing. So you just float along. Number 15, fatigue. Fatigue is a big time waster. I know there's certain things, and I've told you this before, there's certain times when if I stay up working late into the night, it can take me two hours to do a particular thing because I'm half asleep as I'm doing it. Then I have to check the following day because I knew that I was drowsy as I was doing it. But my wife will often say to me, why don't you just go to bed early and you wake up early and you do that thing? And she's right, because when I wake up early and do that same thing, it can take me 30 minutes. Sometimes our own fatigue, when we do things at the wrong time of the day, it's actually a massive time waster. Amen? And then finally, number 16. Lack of self-discipline. Lack of self-discipline. What is discipline? Discipline is deciding what's best for you to do and following through with it and doing it despite how you're feeling. That's discipline. So what space are you in right now? Are you the person who makes the mistake of scheduling less important work before more important work? Are you the person who makes the mistake of starting a job before thinking it through? Are you the person who makes the mistake of leaving jobs before they're completed? Are you the person who makes the mistake of doing things that can be delegated to another person? I mentioned to you before that a lot of things that you loathe, there are people out there who love it. I was teaching the entrepreneurs the other day that some things you should outsource because someone else can do them quicker and faster than you. Instead of you spending a whole lot of time trying to figure out how do I do the coding for this? Yeah, I once did a course at high school on coding. Let me try and come up with that app by myself. There's some people who can do it while they're sleeping. Amen? Are you doing things that can be delegated to modern equipment? Are you doing things that actually aren't a part of your real job? Are you keeping too many, too complicated, overlapping records? Sometimes we've got lots of clutter in our lives and it's slowing us down, ladies and gentlemen. I've got a particular aunt and one of her policies was, you know what, if I haven't used anything within six months, I'll put it in the garage. If I haven't used it in another six months, I'll, th I'll give it away. For some people, it's just straight. If I haven't used it in six months, give it away. Why do you keep the clutter? Why do you hoard the things as a security blanket? Are you handling too wide a variety of duties? Are you failing to build barriers against interruptions? Sometimes a good thing to do is to just switch off your phone after a certain time in the evening. Instead of thinking, but in case people want to get me, in case, what crisis will they be? 
Just think about it. Unless you're a doctor who's on call. What, the sky won't fall. Sometimes it's actually a form of pride. We think we're the savior of the world. So I have to have my phone on. And in the moment it just buzzes. Even if it's on vibrate. What do you do? You're busy there talking to your spouse. But it's this instinct. <sighs> and you can't have quality communication with your loved ones. Amen. You know that there's, it's actually a phobia. I think it's called something like nomophobia. Nomophobia. The fear of losing your phone. The fear of just not having your phone with you. You know, you go to certain places, you'll go, to, um, you can go, I want to use a safe example here. I don't want to expose any people. But you know, there's some people, they'll go to the movies, for example, and they're like, oh, I left my phone at home. I left my phone at home. You're going to a movie. Are you going to be answering the phone while you're watching the movie? Why is it a crisis? Make a decision. Meal times. Get rid of the phones. Amen. Sometimes I phone people and, I, and it ends up a missed call on their side. And then they apologize to me profusely saying, Pastor, sorry I missed your call. Sorry. I'm, I said, I was just chancing. How can I expect you to always have your phone there with you and answer every call? I was just chancing. It's not like we had an appointment that you have to pick up my, my call. Amen. What did we used to do back in the day? Those of you who were there back in the day before cell phones. What did we, how did we survive? We've turned out okay, amen? Number 10, allowing conferences and discussions to wander. 11, conducting unnecessary meetings, visits, or phone calls. Sometimes we have a lot of face-to-face -face meetings where it would just be a phone call. Chasing trivial data after the main facts are in. Socializing at great length between tasks. These are very practical things that rob you from your time, your use of time. And what ends up happening is you can't fulfill your primary purpose. So what can we do? What are some practical ways for us to manage our time? Number one, focus on the things that give you maximum results. Your high leverage activities. Those things that you do with minimal effort, but you get maximum results. How do you figure out what that is? How do you figure out what that thing is? Let me ask you a question. What do people compliment you about? What do you receive the most praise for? That's already a clue of your high leverage activity. Of the stuff that God calls you to do. Of the things that God has wired you to do. Just think about it. What is it that comes to you so easily, but other people are like, hey, that was tough. How did you do it? What is it that, that people praise you for and they say, thank you for all the hard work, but you know you just winged it. Those are the things that God has given you divine energy to do. Amen. I was doing some workshops recently and I was speaking for about three days, four days in a row and so on. And someone says, Paul, how do you manage to do all the things that you're doing? I say, I'm doing what I was born to do. And this person was into baking and I said, I'll look at you and you're baking and you probably are just doing it and it's therapeutic for you and so on. And I'll be like, how do you spend so much time in front of the oven? Amen. What is it that if I phone you at 2 a.m. and I say, Sean, please, can you help me with this? You can do it willingly, full of lots of energy without complaining or grumbling. What's that thing? That's what you were born to do. What is it that people have to stop you from doing? Because you get so caught up doing it. People have to say, it's supper time now. Come and eat. Because the time just flew as you were doing that particular thing. What is that thing? When you focus on your high leverage activities, it brings blessing to the people around you. Have you noticed that the people we admire the most, we think they're so brilliant at what they do. Not necessarily. They're not naturally like that. Maybe what's just happened is that they're doing what God has graced them to do and they spend most of their time doing that so they get better at it. Just think about it. Amen? So focus on those particular things. Focus on your sphere of influence, not your circle of concern. 
Sometimes we spend so much time worrying. I believe worry is one of the biggest time wasters. You'll be there studying and you think I was studying for two hours, but it was really 30 minutes. I remember in my varsity days in the 90s, I would look at people in the library, see them, and they'll think, hey, I was studying. Three hours I was studying. But when I was looking at them, half the time they're looking up, looking this way, looking there, going to the loo, dreaming, am I going to pass this exam or not? Worry is one of the biggest time wasters that people have. Who has your mental share? Who has your mind share? Just think about that. Don't focus on things that you can't change. Focus on what you can influence. Amen. The second one is prioritize the big rocks in your life. If I had a big jar here, a big jar, right? And I want to end up filling it up with big stones and then smaller little rocks and then pebbles and then sand and then water. How many of you know that in order for me to do that, what do I need to put in first? I need to put the big rocks in first. What will happen if I, put, if I fill it up with sand and then try and put smaller rocks and stones and all sorts of things? I'll have a problem, amen? You start with the big rocks. I want to ask you this question. If you started with the big rocks of your life, the things that are most important to you, which might be your health, it might be your walk with the Lord Jesus, it might be your family and how you're raising your kids, how you're loving your spouse, right? And fulfilling God's primary purpose for your life, whatever you're called to do. It might be those particular things. If you put them in place and you schedule them in your timetable, will you still have room for the small pebbles? You will. But I'm telling you right now, many of us are being derailed from the purposes of God in our lives because we're focused on the small pebbles. Now, you know what the sad thing is? When you're trying to figure out your calling in this life, very often it's a subset of something you're already doing. You see, your life calling is not often this thing of, oh, let me go to Outer Mongolia. I'm just waiting to go and be a missionary in Outer Mongolia. That's my real purpose in life. Very often it's something, and listen carefully to this, it's something that you're already doing, but you're only doing it 2% of the time. You're only doing it 10% of the time. Think about it. For most of you, if I say, what do you think is your primary purpose in this life? The thing you will say, you're already doing. But the problem is you're only doing it 10% of the time. You have to ask yourself, how can I change it from being a small pebble to being a true big rock in my life? Are you hearing me this morning? My question to you is, do you block off time to invest each week for the big rocks in your life? If you haven't done so, please do so today. That thing that you're saying, this is my primary purpose. Don't just dwell on that. Quickly then say, so this week I'm allocating this amount of time to it. Otherwise you'll be deceived. You'll be deceived because you talk about it a lot. You'll be deceived because people prophesied over you a lot. And you'll think you're actually living and walking in it, but you're not. Amen? Some of you should be producing multiple books published in the shops there. And I believe, in terms of Thursday, one of the things I'm believing for is that it will inspire a whole lot of people who've got good stuff for the world to see to actually launch it out. Amen? Robert, Robert McNair said, the reason most major goals are not achieved is that we spend too much of our time doing second things first. Don't just define what your primary purpose is. Also write down your secondary purpose, those second things, but make sure they remain second. When something comes first in your life, you allocate time to it. You guard against being distracted from it and you train for it so that you can be your best at it. Amen. I also want to say this. Don't measure how effective you are as, let's say, as a mom, just by the time you spend with your kids. But also look at the quality of what you're giving them. Because if you're insecure, if you're full of fear and frustration all the time, I'm going to that all the time you're spending now with your kids is damaging them. 
So you see, it's not just about what I spend or who I spend my time with. It's about the quality of what I'm giving them at the time. Amen? So what are those first things in your life? How many of you know that Jesus had certain musts? Things that he said, this is a must for me. I must do this. And what I've seen is that a lot of Christians are derailed from their life purpose because they don't have any musts. You see, when your purpose becomes an obligation, for me, the whole thing with the books that we've launched out, the fact of the matter is it's an obligation for me. I honestly sit there convicted, thinking to myself, the book on humility needs to come out because this nation needs it. Amen? The, the Transforming Society book, which is about to come out, it needs to get out because we need reformed minds. It's an obligation. For me, there's no option. I, I will be very uncomfortable sitting there and not churning the things out. I know God has called me to do it and the world needs to hear it. Now, here's the thing. For a lot of us, we don't fulfill our primary purpose because his goals for our life, his dream for our life has not yet become a strong, a strong obligation, a strong sense of duty, a strong sense of I must do this. The world needs to hear it. My prayer for you this morning is that things that have just been dreams are translated into reality because there's a strong sense of obligation and duty. Amen. Now, Jesus had certain musts. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, he said, I must be in my father's house. He said that, I must be in my father's house, right? He also said elsewhere, the son of man must suffer. He also says elsewhere, I must do the works of him who sent me. My question to you is, what are your musts? What are your musts? And my second question to you is, are they on your timetable? Those musts. Are they on your timetable? If not, then how can you monitor your progress? See, take time out to plan your daily routine and activities. In Proverbs 13 verse 16, it says, A wise man thinks ahead, a fool doesn't, and even brags about it. A wise man thinks ahead. That's what the Bible says. I know some of you don't like thinking ahead. I know some of you think planning is not spiritual. But when I read the Bible, it says a wise man does what? Thinks ahead. They think ahead about this next week. They think ahead about this next month. They think ahead about this next year. A wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. I know many Christians who brag about the fact that they just go with the flow. I know, Paul, I'm not the planning type. I just flow. Maybe you're what the Bible says. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. The Oxford Dictionary defines planning as arranging or working out details beforehand. How many of you that when you manage your time, there's certain details you're planning, certain details you're pre preparing? Those who do not plan their time have decided that time, events, and circumstances will rule them. Those who plan their time and keep to it succeed. To tell who a man's God is, see whose appointments he keeps faithfully. The appointments you keep faithfully show people who your God is. My question to you is, are you keeping your appointments with God? Just think about it. What do you prioritize? Anything that is not put on a timetable is a thing that you have decided does not need to happen. Then I want to encourage you, D, create to-do lists. Create to-do lists. One of the power, the power of having a to-do list is that you can actually tick things off. How many of you are quite goal-orientated here? Isn't it nice when you can actually say, I've done this, this, this. Then you can thank God, like, look what I accomplished. I see that a lot of people spend the day accomplishing all sorts of things, but then they, because they feel like they haven't accomplished it, what do they do? 
They're like, oh, they go by their feelings. But if they, were, if they just had a to-do list and were actually ticking things, they would actually feel fulfilled. They would actually feel fulfilled. And you can go through the notes. You can get them from the website afterwards. But you can go through the notes and you can see some details in terms of how to actually craft your to-do list. If you don't manage to accomplish something on a particular day, roll it over to the following day. Amen? Don't just focus on stating, I'm going to do this, but talk about the quality with which you will do it. All right? It's important. E, develop stop to-do lists. Come up with a list that has got items that you want to stop doing. You see, many of us, we add so much to our to-do lists, but we don't have much written on the stop to-do. So now we're trying to do what our strategy was for last year. We're also including it this year. Together with this year's things. How many of you know that that doesn't work? What's on your stop to-do list right now? F, conduct a body inventory. Try and get a sense of how am I feeling when I'm doing things? Am I doing it at the right time of day or the wrong time of day? Many times we waste time because we're doing things at the wrong time of the day. G, practice the art of delegation. Don't be a control freak. Those of you who are control freaks, God has blessed you with what we call relational assets. People around you who can assist you to do what you need to do. Ask yourself the question, what do I need to delegate? Even to your kids, even to helpers at home. Who do I need to pass on something to? H, manage your telephone calls effectively. One of the ways to do that is to determine the best time of day for calls. Then you set aside specific times when you'll receive calls, not just any time. Where you say to people, don't just say to them, call me tomorrow. No, rather say, call me at this time. Then you're not waiting all day for their call. Amen? I, combine related meetings where possible. Have them back to back. Otherwise, I promise you, you'll waste a lot of time. And then J, overcome procrastination. Overcome procrastination. I want to end off today by just talking a little bit about procrastination. I know many of you have been waiting for this, so I'm going to do it today. Procrastination is deferring action. Putting off or delaying action especially something requiring immediate attention. That's what procrastination is. It's deferring action. Things that you're supposed to do today, you defer to tomorrow. Someone once said, tomorrow is the busiest day ever. Have you noticed that? It's just, tomorrow is such a busy day. Because everyone says, no, it'll, I'll do it tomorrow. No, 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 I, tomorrow I'll do it. It's a very busy day. Because I don't know how everything is going to be lumped into tomorrow. Let's look at how Jesus views procrastination. In Luke chapter 9, verses 58 to 62, it says here, And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me to first go and bury my father. Please note, the person is, is not saying, Lord, I never want to follow you. He's saying, but I want to first do other things. Second things first. Some of you, God has called you to start businesses. Lord, yes, I will start, but please let me first. But maybe he wants you to start now. Lord, permit me to first go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So God didn't, Jesus didn't just say to them, oh, you're procrastinating. He actually saw their procrastination as looking back. Is everyone getting that? He saw their procrastination as you are looking back and because of that you are not actually fit for the kingdom of God. Because you are trying to do kingdom things but kingdom things are not first in your life. I'm hoping we're receiving this. 
Jesus sees procrastination on the things of God as a sign that you're unfit for the kingdom. Can you see that? In Luke 14, we have another example. Luke 14, I'm going to read from verse 16 to 24. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. And if you read on, you'll see that the excuses were not bad, evil things that they wanted to do. But they had put second things first. And it's interesting because it actually upsets the master and he called other people to take their place. Could it be that because you're procrastinating the purposes of God in your life, God is actually choosing other people? Say, you know what, I really wanted to use you, but you're delaying. Because that book you need to write is for people now, not for people in three years' time. Amen? Because that church that needs to be planted, people need that church now, not for three years' time. So because the need is right now, in terms of God's purposes, I'm going to find someone who's willing and who's available to do it right now. And when you try and do it in three years' time, there'll be no revelation for it because the purpose is finished. The purpose is gone because God used someone else. When you procrastinate, you're making excuses for not doing it now. You're making excuses for not doing it now. And very often those excuses are not the real truth. What are some of the causes of procrastination? Number one, fear. Fear. The Bible says, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. Isaiah 8 verse 12. In the NLT it says, do not call everything a conspiracy like they do and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Don't be afraid of what the world is afraid of. Don't be afraid of what the world is afraid of. Fear. Very often when people don't step out and do what God has called them to do, they're being paralyzed by fear. They're afraid of something. Sometimes it's the fear of failure. Sometimes it's the fear of being blamed. Sometimes it's the fear of being mocked. That people will look at me and they'll laugh and they'll ridicule me if I fail. Second cause of procrastination is indecisiveness. The Bible tells us in James 1 verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. And shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. It goes on to say that. You see, sometimes we procrastinate because we're actually not sure. Well, how should I actually do it? We haven't actually decided. Ah, that business, yeah, but who should be my business partner? Should it be a joint venture or an actual business partnership? I'm not too sure. Instead of figuring out and making a decision, we procrastinate. I'm not too sure what type of job I want. So beforehand, so I'm not going to actually apply because I'm just not too sure exactly what I want. Indecisiveness can cause you to procrastinate. The third is perfectionism. Perfectionism. You're waiting for the perfect time and the perfect people to work with. And so you'll procrastinate. But let me just say something about perfectionism. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes Chapter 11, verse 4. It says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. If you watch every cloud, you never harvest. If you're waiting for the perfect time, you will never plant. Amen? Another reason why we procrastinate is resentment. Especially, especially if the thing you're procrastinating is something you've been asked to do by an authority figure, but you're resenting. You're resenting them for something. Have you ever had it? Your boss gives you some work to do and you're like, I'll do it in my own time. You're like, ah, you know what? These people are trying to control me. But really it's because there's some resentment in your heart toward them. You don't want to be controlled by anyone. You won't do it on time because you want to feel like you're in control. Resentment unforgiveness sometimes what happens is we procrastinate because we're avoiding the difficult conversation we're too afraid to actually say to that person you know what 
I don't think this business will work if the two of us work on it together. That's why I've been stalling. I actually think I should go it alone. We're afraid of the difficult conversations, so we procrastinate. Instead of saying to that guy, I think we need to break up, we're unequally yoked, you procrastinate because you're afraid of the difficult conversation. And then finally, incorrect priorities. Sometimes we procrastinate because we're putting second things first. We're so busy with so much else that isn't our primary purpose. We procrastinate God's primary purpose for our lives. You know, when I look in scripture, I see a lot of things that had to happen immediately. In Acts 10 verse 32 to 33, it says, Therefore send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. It's immediate obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. He did it immediately. In Acts chapter 16, 32 to 34, then Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and to everyone in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took him, took them and washed their wounds. And without delay, he and all his household were baptized without delay. How many of you still need to be baptized, but you've been procrastinating? How many of you still need to do rebuild, but you've been procrastinating? How many of you still need to sign up for membership, but you've been procrastinating? But it says here, without delay, they did these things. How can you overcome procrastination? How many of you struggle with procrastination? Let's be honest. How many of you procrastinate? Don't be ashamed. Don't be proud. Okay, I'm seeing many hands. Okay, so I want to give you this as a nice present, right? Please remember, many of us procrastinate in one area of our life at least. You might be very much a doer in so many areas, but you'll find there's that one area you're procrastinating in, right? So I'll close with this. this is, these are steps for overcoming procrastination. Number one, repent of the root. If the root of the procrastination is resentment, repent of the resentment. Many times when we repent, we repent of behavior instead of the root. If the root of it is fear of man and fear of having that difficult conversation, repent of that. Uproot that in your life. Number two, give yourself deadlines. Don't just say, yeah, my plan is sometime this month I'll do. Uh-uh. Say the specific date by which you'll do the thing by. Right? Give yourself deadlines. Number three, eat that frog. How many of you know the eat that frog principle? Okay. If I give you a live frog to eat in the morning, like now, live frog and you have to eat it. How many of you know that everything else that you end up doing for the rest of that day will seem like, oh, this is glorious. Oh, this is wonderful. Why? Because, of, because you started with the bad thing. So do the thing that you are dreading first. There's a particular organization that actually started applying this. And what they ended up doing was they had these brass frogs just on their desks. And the salespeople started applying it and it was amazing what happened. It was a reminder that I must just eat that frog. I remember teaching this principle and I had a coaching session with someone who was in one of the banks at about 7.30 in the morning. And the guy came to me and he said, hey Paul, I've already eaten a few frogs this morning. The thing that you're avoiding, do that thing first and get it out of the way. Amen. Then you've got things to look forward to for the rest of the day. Number four, break up the large mountains into small manageable hills. Sometimes we procrastinate because there's this massive mountain and you don't know where to start. Just break it into bite-sized chunks. Number five, beware of perfectionism. Just, those of you who are perfectionists here, just get started. You can always refine it later. Just get started. You can refine it as you go along. Number six, remember there's no perfect time to start. You know, people who write understand this, eh? They just start. You just do a little bit each day, a little bit each day. Instead of waiting for that perfect time. Number seven, be honest with yourself about how you view the task. You see, sometimes we disagree with the task, but we don't admit that to ourselves. And then we delay and we procrastinate. Just be honest with yourself. 
and say, this is why I'm not doing it. I'm actually having an issue with aspects of it. It's not, it's not aligned to my personal values. Amen? And then finally, number eight, develop systems to help you to avoid procrastination. You see, sometimes we, having good systems, for example, guys, within 12 hours, I need to have responded to all my emails. That's just a principle you can work with to make sure you respond to your emails. Otherwise, you'll have weeks before you've responded. Amen? Sometimes you can say to yourself, I'm not going to pick up paperwork more than once, but I'm going to make a decision the first time I see that paper. Otherwise, you'll see it and you're like, oh, okay, I'll sort it out. And it will remain there for the next few months. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray.